Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, for the last two weeks, we have been looking together uh, at Luke's story of what happened on the day of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, we've been reading Luke 24 together. We read about the early dawn visit of the women to the tomb. Uh, and then last week, we read together about the two disciples who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And this morning, we're just going to uh, pick up exactly where we left off. Later on in that evening, when these two disciples have gone back to the apostles and everyone else and uh, told them what happened to them. So I'm going to read for us from the end of Luke 24. I'll read verses 36 through 53. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that as we uh, read this and as we uh, think about this word and talk about this word that we have just read and heard together, uh, that you will uh, meet us by your spirit. And we think about that uh, Old Testament lesson and that the psalmist's teasing question <laughs> to the created order, why are you startled? Why do you run back? Why do you skip like lambs? And it's because they are in the presence of you. And so, Father, we ask that as we, uh, as we talk and think about this story about those who were in your presence and frightened, um, that you would help us to, to see ourselves in that place to see you, your beauty and your glory, to see what you have done for us in the resurrection of Jesus. Let me pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the other day uh, I was here at church and I took off the shoes uh, that I had worn into church that morning and I put on a pair of slippers. Uh, some of us on staff do that from time to time. It's kind of like a, a reverse Mr. Rogers, if you get that reference. Anyhow, um, I took these shoes off, and, I, and as I was taking them off, I thought to myself, I'm going to need to replace these shoes soon. 
I mean, the, uh, the insoles, the interior of these shoes, uh, it's wearing out. And maybe more importantly, uh, the way I take my shoes off when I'm not paying attention has, has caused the sole of the shoe to pull a little bit away from the body. So I thought, man, I, I need to replace these, these shoes soon. And I, I just thought about these things. There wasn't anyone else around. Uh, I didn't say anything to anyone about this. And then later that day, I had one of those uh, 21st century experiences that I'm guessing that most of us have had from time to time. I opened up my Instagram account, and there, uh, artfully nestled between posts of friends, were ads for shoes. (laughs) And not just any shoes, the kind of shoes that I need to replace, and not just from one company, but from two companies. There they were, these ads for exactly what I needed. And I have to be honest with you and tell you that my first thought was not, someone please help me because my phone is reading my mind. That was not my first thought. My first thought was, sweet, maybe I get to replace these shoes. And then a few minutes later, I thought, wait, <laughs> is my phone reading my mind? <laughs> now, I don't, I don't really know how that happened. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that my phone cannot read my thoughts just yet. Uh, maybe I said something to someone and my phone heard it and that triggered something, which is only slightly less scary. Maybe I did a search for these kind of shoes and I forgot that I had searched for those kind of shoes. Maybe there is some other kind of algorithm. I don't know. I only know that it was kind of unsettling for me to be thinking about something and then to have that thing appear. So to say the least, that is a, uh, a tiny little window into the massive, life-shuddering fear that crept into the hearts of those people in that room when, as Luke says, they were talking about these things, and out of nowhere, Jesus stood among them. <laughs> They're literally talking in that very moment uh, about the wild hope beyond all hope potential of Jesus being alive, and then out of nowhere, he shows up with them. Can you imagine the beautiful chaos that must have ascended in that room? (laughs) I love the way that Luke tells us what happened. Luke 24 is a masterpiece. It is a rich feast of tragedy and irony and comedy and pathos and crazy joy. And Luke tells the whole story in a way so that we will begin to understand this is new creation. This has never been seen before. And we have a place in that new creation. I hope we get a sense of that as we uh, finish looking at Luke 24 this morning. So just to review the way that Luke has told the story up until this point, it was the women first who went to the tomb that morning. They told the 11 apostles and all of the rest of the folks who were hiding in that locked room in Jerusalem that the tomb was empty and that they had seen angels and nobody believed them. But Peter, Peter gets something in his head and he runs off from that room and he goes to the tomb and he can definitely confirm that it's empty. And then he is marveling and he's in confusion. And right away, before we know anything else of what happens with Peter, Luke cuts away. He cuts away in the middle of Peter's confusion to these two disciples. The ones we talked about last week, walking disconsolate on the road. And then Jesus slips in beside them. (laughs) And then later on, when he breaks the bread in their home, they finally realize who he is. And then he vanishes. (laughs) 
(laughs) And so these two race back to Jerusalem, and they go back there to tell the apostles, to tell everyone else what it is that's happened to them. And when they get to that room, it's clear that the people there in that room are pretty much bouncing off the walls. It is very clear that this is the kind of stuff, these kind of rumors, these kind of whispers, these kind of conspiracies are the only thing that they have been talking about most of the day since the women returned from the tomb. And when those two arrive, the whole room blows up and they all say, the Lord is risen indeed. (laughs) Now, listen, we don't know who all was in that room. But we do know that three, probably four of them, had seen Jesus at that point. And that means that the rest of the folks in that room saying that Jesus had risen, they're just kind of getting carried away. (laughs) And you can't blame them. Of course, that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted to believe. You cannot blame them for hoping against hope. And so they say the words with everyone else in the room, and the grammar of those words makes sense, and the syntax of those words makes sense, but they have no idea what those words really mean. None whatsoever. And that this is true becomes ironically apparent in a very great rush as they were talking about these things, Luke says. As they were talking about how Jesus is arisen, and isn't that incredible, and isn't that amazing, and isn't that wonderful, as they were talking about that, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you, and they were startled, and they were frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. (laughs) All of the people in that room, presumably including the three or four who had already seen Jesus, all of the people in that room, they lose it, and they think that somehow a ghost has gotten into the room with them. Just try to wrap your mind around that. It's beautiful. It's easier for these folks to believe that they are being haunted than it is for them to believe what they have just been saying to each other. That is confusion. That is strangeness. That is something that they had never experienced before. And I think at least part of that is because they fully don't understand what the words Jesus is risen actually mean. They don't have categories to think through what that actually means yet. And that is precisely one of the reasons that Jesus is there for. And so he he sees what's going on and he moves towards them And he moves towards them with a question. Why are you troubled? And why do these doubts arise in your hearts? (laughs) We talked about this last week a little bit. There's Jesus again asking questions for which he already knows the answers. He names what they're experiencing. He names what they're feeling. He names what is streaming through their bodies. And in that way, he draws them out. Everyone in that room, everybody in that room had been affirming Jesus' resurrection, but now faced with the actual resurrected Jesus, they're beside themselves and they think that they're seeing things. And this happens for one simple reason, and that is because every category about being human has been shattered by the resurrection of Jesus. Every category about being human has been shattered by the resurrection of Jesus. 
To put it as simply as I can, the disciples have never seen a human like this before, and nothing, nothing could have prepared them for it. Jesus hadn't simply been resuscitated. (laughs) He had been resurrected. He had been resurrected. He didn't have a near-death experience. He wasn't like we sometimes say, he wasn't dead on the table for a few minutes before he was revived. Jesus had gone through death, and he had come out the other side alive. He had stared down the last enemy, and he wrangled with the last enemy, and he fought with it, and he crushed it under his feet, and he emerged victorious as a human from a place where no human had ever emerged before, and it showed all of the resurrection appearances sing that this is the truth. Those women and those men in that room that night are staring down new creation. Of course it was unsettling to them. Of course it messed them up. Of course they needed a new category for it. And church, when you and I, when we say together the creed, the Apostles' Creed, when we say together and affirm that we believe that Jesus descended into hell and on the third day he rose again from the dead, we are affirming together that new category that Jesus' resurrection has made into being in this world, and that is Christ the victor, (laughs) Christus victor. We are affirming that Jesus has defeated our last enemy, that he has defeated death. And you know what that means for you and me? It means that if we follow him by faith, we will also go where he has gone, into new life. And it means that those that we love and have lost in him those people will go where he has gone. It means that he has already led them safely home. Through all loss and through all sorrow and through all separation, he will lead us safely home. And church, that hope is as sure and as real as the Jesus who was standing in front of the disciples that night in that room. The, uh, the church father Chrysostom said it like this in one of his uh, fourth century Easter sermons. He said, hell grasped a corpse and met God. <laughs> hell took what it saw and was overcome by what it could not see. And that, that's what the resurrection means. And Jesus does these two very uh, physical, very tangible, very tactile things Uh, to help those women and men understand the meaning of his resurrection or to try to begin to go a little bit deeper into it. One of the things he does, and maybe he does this simply because he's hungry, is he eats some fish. (laughs) He's really there with them. He's not a spirit. He is flesh. He is with them. And the other thing that he does underlines that same physicality as well, but it also goes even deeper into the meaning of the resurrection. Because he shows them his wounds. He says, see my hands and my feet. Touch me and see 
And so those, those women, those men, they stretch out their hands to the wounds of Jesus. I mean, just a few uh, hours before, <laughs> those wounds had been the source of some of the deepest pain they had ever felt in their lives. Just a few hours before, those wounds had seemed to them to be the symbol, the meaning that everything good that they had ever dared hope for is ended. And now they find that those very wounds that had caused them pain and those very wounds that they thought meant the end are, in fact, the source of their healing and the eternal source of their hope. I mean, that's what the, the prophet Isaiah said. And they knew the words. You know, they knew what Isaiah had said. And now they aren't just reading those words. Now they aren't just hearing someone say those words to them. And they're not just thinking about those words. They are feeling the meaning of those words with their own hands. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his wounds, we have been healed. And church, when, when we say together, when we say that we believe in the creed, in the forgiveness of sins, this is what we're talking about. The risen Jesus offers up his wounds for our forgiveness. For yours and for mine. Because it's not only death that is defeated in the resurrection of Jesus, it is the sin and rebellion that caused death to spring unwelcome into the world that is defeated. It is not only death that is defeated in the resurrection of Jesus, it is the sin and the rebellion that lives in our hearts that causes all of the harm and pain to spring unwelcome into our lives. That too is defeated in the resurrection of Jesus. He willingly gave up his life for ours. And to follow Jesus in repentance is to be forgiven. It is to be healed by his wounds. And that is as true right now as it was when they were touching the wounds in that room. And Luke tells us that while the disciples were feeling that forgiveness, while they were touching those wounds with their own hands, something very beautiful, very mysterious happens. Luke says they disbelieved for joy <laughs> and were marveling. They disbelieved for joy. I never get tired of that. They still don't believe it. <laughs> they still don't believe it, but they have moved, haven't they, ever so slightly. They've moved from being completely terrified and completely afraid to being completely overcome with joy in the middle of their doubt. They disbelieve for joy like this is too good. It's too good to be true. Could it possibly be true? which is great. But it isn't yet enough. And that is another reason that Jesus is there with them. No doubt it was an incredible experience for those women and those men in that room. But the resurrection of Jesus means something much, much more 
than that a group of people in a locked room in Jerusalem a long time ago had an incredible experience of forgiveness and healing. It means that, and that's incredible, and it's amazing. But the meaning of Jesus' resurrection and the accomplishment of Jesus' resurrection can never be contained in that locked room. (laughs) So Jesus reminds them, this is not only for you. He, his resurrection, he says, is for the life of the world. And so like he had done earlier in the day with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he tells them the true story of the whole world. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He tells them the whole story again. The whole story of God and his world. And like we saw last week, as he does it, he draws up all of the threads of that story. All of the threads that were going every which direction. And he weaves them into this tapestry that it is as scandalous as it is beautiful. That is as shocking as it is healing. Because this tapestry is the one of a God who in love gives of himself to redeem a wayward people. And to remake a broken world. He weaves together this tapestry in which his cross and his enduring wounds are central. The beginning point of a whole new creation. It's a tapestry in which the resurrection is the Father's declaration that prophet and priest and king have come together in Jesus for our good and for the life of the world forever. And death is defeated. And forgiveness is real. And it is offered by grace. So Jesus says, (laughs) this repentance and this forgiveness should be proclaimed in my name to all of the nations starting right here in Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is saying this story is for the whole world. The forgiveness and the healing that you've experienced is meant to move outward into the world. You are witnesses of these things, Jesus says. You have seen it. You have experienced it. And now you need to make it present everywhere in this world. And church, that has formed our identity. And that has formed our vocation in the world from the day of Jesus' resurrection until right now. Our life is rooted in the story of Scripture. It is our story. (laughs) And in that story... For us and every person we know and every person uh, that we've ever known, that story finds its truest and fullest and most perfect and complete meaning in Jesus. And so the mission that Jesus sent those women and men on is our mission too. It is the work of our common life as far off into the horizon as we can possibly see. We proclaim repentance in his name, a turning away from everything that is not aligned with his gracious and peaceable rule. A turning away from all of those failures to love that harm us, that harm the people around us. And what we get to say with glad hearts, because we have experienced it, is that because of the cross and the resurrection, there is forgiveness of sins. His wounds yet visible above, still heal us. And they still heal anyone who follows him in faith. And that is the truth that has been turning the world upside down 
since that first long, beautiful Easter Sunday until right now. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for that chaotic, beautiful moment in that room when you appeared to those first disciples, those scared yet faithful ones. And we thank you that you sent them out of that room and into the world and that we have become beneficiaries of your resurrection. And so we ask, Father, that you would help us to see and to believe and to cling to you in faith so that we could uh, grow up in our faith and mature in our faith and so that we as witnesses of those things can go out into the world and proclaim your good news everywhere. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.